Everybody, I thank God for you. I love you. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to join me and dig into God's word. If you're here for the first time, first time in a long time, man, we're delighted to have you with us. And let's start here. Would you like to ask questions of God? Do you have some questions you'd like to ask God? Well, I found out this week that there's all kinds of kids who have all kinds of questions to ask God. Let me just show you uh, some examples. One little boy. God, why did you make mosquitoes? All they do is bite you. Why would you do that? <laughs> Here's a little girl. God, are you Santa Claus? Here's another. Dear God, did Jesus get potty trained as fast as me? Here's another. God, how did Jesus rise from the dead? Did, did he punch his way out of the grave and say, this is not the last you've seen of Jesus? Two more. Dear God, is Santa Claus your rich brother? And one more. Dear God, if Jesus doesn't have a sister, why do I have to have one? Kids are great. And you have your questions about God. Maybe sometimes the question is why? Why has this terrible thing happened? Why have I lost this loved one? Why is our world in such a crazy mess? Maybe your question is, is how? God, how am I going to get through this? God, maybe it's when. God, when are you going to help me? But all of our questions really boil down to this. What is God like? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What is God like? What is God like? I guess the short answer is this. When you, when you see Jesus, you see God. When you know Jesus, you know God. When you understand Jesus, you understand God. Um, Here's the word of God. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. For in Christ, there is all of God. All of God in a human body. And so you have everything when you have Christ. You are filled with God through your union with Christ. Look at Jesus and see God be united with Jesus and be filled with God. Be united with Jesus and be filled with God. I like to explain this, expound on this, by taking us into a question and answer session with Jesus and some of his closest friends. He's being peppered by questions, and he responds. Uh, let me set the scene. It is the night. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, he is only hours away from being spiked to a criminal's cross. And the weight, the, the weight of understanding that his death is just hours away weighs on him. And so he begins to unload on his closest followers with double bad news. He says, I've got bad news for you and I've got more bad news for you. Here's bad news Number one, Jesus says, my dear friends, 
I only have a brief time to be with you. You will search for me and long for me. And then to that bad news, he adds this bad news. You can't come where I'm going. Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to be made your sin and mine. He's, he's going to, to, to suffer a, a bloody, brutal death. That's where he's going and no one can help him. No one can be with him. He has to do it on his own for us. So this just provokes uh, Peter and he blurts out, just fires off the first question. Here's what happens. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't come with me now, but you will follow me later. You see, Peter would have his personal crucifixion, except that when Peter was crucified, he, he, he refused to be crucified like Jesus, said he wasn't worthy of it and wanted to be and was crucified upside down. Peter, you can't go where I'm going, but you will come later. But why can't I? Come now, Lord, Peter asked. I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, would you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Here's the absolute truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows in the morning, before dawn breaks, before that happens, you will say three times that you don't even know me. Man of silence fell over that group. I mean, Peter's face must have flushed with embarrassment. His his friends must have looked at each other thinking, hey, if, if Peter fails Jesus, if, if Peter denies he even knows these three times, what about us? Well, I as well. Interestingly enough, this prediction that Jesus makes of Peter occurs in all four of the gospel accounts about the life and death of Jesus. It appears in Matthew, it appears in Mark, it appears in Luke, and right here in John. Jesus predicts it, and it happens. Before dawn breaks, before the rooster crows, three times, Peter denies he even knows Jesus. Now, why would these gospel writers, all four of them, see this Failure, the worst possible failure on Peter's part, why would it be essential to include in their story of Jesus? Number one, because our failures are not final. Jesus would go on to forgive Peter. Jesus would go on to reconcile and redeem Peter. Jesus would go on to restore Peter. Peter would not be damaged goods. Peter would not be discarded like roadside rubbish. Jesus would forgive. Jesus would restore. And the other truth that stands throughout Scripture from this interaction, Peter's question, Jesus' answer, Jesus' prediction, and then Peter's worst sin, here's the truth. Jesus' unfailing love is not shaken by even our ugliest sins. 
We do our worst. I've done my worst. You do your worst. But though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Even our worst and ugliest sins cannot shake the unfailing love of God for us. His unfailing love for you, whatever you've done, his unfailing love for you prevails, unshakable. And so then into that awkward, uncomfortable moment, Jesus speaks comfort to Peter and to the friends surrounding him. Uh, Jesus says, don't worry or surrender to your fear. You believe in God, trust and believe in me also. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. I will come back and get you so that you can live where I live. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, this is so huge. It, it touches me deeply. Because this means that, that in the face of my worst and ugliest sins, I am not disqualified from, disqualified from heaven. In the face of your worst and ugliest since in your darkest moments, God still has a place for you in heaven. Here's how I love to say it. Though we repeated, though we do repeated ugly sin, Jesus has a place for us in heaven. Jesus says to them, hey, I am going away and you can't come with me. I am going to the home of the Father. I'm preparing a place for you. I'll come back to get you to take me. Take you with me where I am. I'm making a place for you in heaven. But this just provokes more questions. This time, it's Thomas who fires off the question. He asks, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus kind of shakes his head in frustration and takes a deep breath and pulls up all his patience, looks Thomas right in the eyes if there's no one else in the room, and Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father, into the Father's presence, except through union with me. To know me is to know the Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. <laughs> Bam, minds are blown. But they're scratching their heads. They're, 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 they're trying to wrestle with these words that are just rolling over them from Jesus and staggering their hearts. And, and this time it's Philip who can't help himself. He's got to question Jesus. Philip says, Master, will you show us the Father? Then we'll be satisfied. Then we'll be content. That'll answer all of our questions if you'll just show us the Father. Again, Jesus takes another deep breath. And this time he looks right into Philip's soul. 
every disciple in the room hangs on Jesus' every word with anticipation. And here's how Jesus responds. Philip, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? Anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. When we see Jesus, we see God. This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Ours is the only faith where our God has appeared on planet Earth in a flesh and blood body where people could hear his words and see his actions and feel his love, witness his power, his compassion, his mercy, his unfailing love, and be profoundly changed by all that is God. That was what was all wrapped up in Jesus. In fact, John, as he's recording uh, this question and answer session, when he first pulled back the curtain, on his book. I mean, it was all darkness, but he threw uh, the bright spotlight beaming on this reality of Jesus. John opens his book with these words. In the beginning, at creation, the word, Jesus, he's the word, he's the living word. The Bible is the written word. Jesus is the living word. The word Jesus at creation already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is without beginning. He is God. Jesus is without end. He is God. And later on in that text, just verses later, John would write, The Word, Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We saw the glory, the glory of God with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like Father, like Son. This reality, this reality that Jesus is God, God without beginning, God without end, God robed in majesty and splendor, God in the flesh, to know Jesus is to know God. This reality challenges us, you and me, with two tests. The first is the sobriety test, or what I call, what have you been smoking test? Because all my life, I've, I've heard people just make stuff up about God, just manufacture a God out of their personal experience. Um, they'll say, you, you know, I, I've always thought that God was someone, and then they say something crazy like, uh, I think God is someone who, who understands why I can't be generous. Uh, or, I think God is someone who wants me to be happy. <laughs> oh, really? And his son, Jesus, is called a man of sorrows? And the happy part on the cross, that was really cool? We just make stuff up. So that's the sobriety test. You can't make stuff up about God. If you want to know God, know Jesus. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to understand God, understand. If you want to love God, love. If you want to worship God, worship Jesus. I love the tweet by Tim Keller. If God is real, why would we assume that he would line up with our views. I mean, if God is 
Rhea, why would he agree with our politics? Share our opinions. If God is real, then God is truth. And we see the reality of God and the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And anything beyond that is not God. Which brings me then to the surrender test. That if, that if Jesus is God, then we bow before him in complete surrender. That every day has a moment of surrender when we, when we give our emotions, when we give our future, when we, we give our uncertainties, when we give our insecurities, when, when we yield our relationships, when, when we give our emotions. Just give it all to God. Here's what scripture says. The apostle Paul writes, at the name of Jesus, there's coming a time. It can happen every day by our own will, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. Why would we surrender? How do we pass that test? We acknowledge Jesus is God. Jesus is God without beginning. Jesus is God without end. He is eternal God. Jesus is creator God. He made everything out of nothing so that nothing is too difficult for him. Jesus is God robed in majesty and splendor. Jesus is God who dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus is God holy, holy, holy. Jesus is God who loves and loves. Jesus is God of deep compassion. Jesus is God of everlasting kindness. Jesus is God of immeasurable mercy. Jesus is God of superabounding grace. Jesus is God who came to earth through human birth. Jesus is God who lived in a flesh and blood body. Jesus is God, though tried and tested and tempted, was without sin, knew no sin, did no sin. Jesus is God who willingly laid his doubt his life down on the cross to pay for our sin. Jesus is God who was our substitute. Jesus is God who took our place. Jesus is God who bore the penalty of our sin. Jesus is God who took the consequences of our sin upon himself. Jesus is God who became our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus is God uh, who was brutally murdered on a criminal's cross. Jesus is God who, who was fully physically dead, thus buried. Jesus is God who rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus is God ascended to the right hand of God. Jesus is God highly exalted. Jesus is God worthy as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is God. Let me lead you in a prayer of surrender right now as we yield all that we are to Jesus, our God. Lord Jesus, through this series, um, th this has taken me to a new place of understanding. Right now, help me and my friends surrender to you as God. God who teaches God who heals, God who unifies, God who champions, God who serves, God who befriends. Jesus is God. 
Lord of Lords, King of Kings, worthy of all adoration. Lord, we surrender. We yield our wills to you. We acknowledge the name of the Lord. Please forgive our sin of rebellion and resistance. Thank you that you forgive. Thank you that you restore. Thank you that our failures have not been fatal. Thank you that our repeated sin have not disqualified us for your unfailing love. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you as God. Lord Jesus, we surrender all that is us to you as God. In your high and mighty name, we pray. Amen. I love you. Thank you for um, joining me in that moment in prayer of surrender. And let's, let's just push into the rest of our day and the rest of our week. Uh, until we come together again, let's push, push in, surrender to Jesus as God. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.